0: Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey.
1: Thank you, Gary. Well, everybody, today's guest, when I say pop culture icon, I really, really mean it. George Takei is a Star Trek legend, social media superstar, and has guest starred on just about every television show imaginable. In 2015, Takei made his Broadway debut with Allegiance, a musical based off of his experience as a child in a Japanese internment camp at the height of World War II. 62% of the 120,000 people in these camps were American citizens, Takei and his family among them. The camps were ordered by FDR shortly after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, that musical, Allegiance, is available as a limited edition two-DVD box set. The first disc is a performance of the show on Broadway, and the second documents the journey that Takei and his creative team took to get this powerful story to the Great White Way. You can pick up your copy at AllegianceMusical.com. I'll link to it in the description boxes on TalkForTwo.com, and on YouTube. Takei also has a graphic novel, They Called Us Enemy, which is aimed at helping young people understand the injustice that Japanese citizens faced during the war. I've also linked to that if you want to check that out. In this emotionally impactful interview, and I was sitting there just stunned, Takei details stories from his time in the camps. Some are undeniably horrific, while others were what he called warm, and I'm using his quote, memories from a truly ugly time in American history. And as his fans all know, Takei has dedicated his life and his platform to making sure such dark history never repeats itself. Here now to tell us why Allegiance is truly an American story, our interview with George Takei. George Takei, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, where are you?
1: Well, I'm supposed to be in New York, but I came back to uh, Pennsylvania, and I've been here since March. Are you? Uh, you're in California, right? You've been. Uh, I'm in
0: Los Angeles. Yes. Uh, what part of Pennsylvania is a big state, just like California? I'm in Southern California, Los Angeles. Now you can be near the uh, Ohio border, or you can be uh, uh, on the New Jersey border. Which side or where? About in the in between, are you?
1: We're uh, we're right by the New Jersey border. Actually, we're I'm two hours from the city, so I'm in the Lehigh oh. Valley. If you're familiar, yeah, yes. So
0: I am. Yeah. Uh, we're bi-coastal. Uh We've got an apartment in New York as well um, for an actor. You know something that we American actors complain about. I um, I have um, British actor friends who live in London. And they can work in television, film, theater, and uh, uh, voiceovers. Only in America do we put the two places that employ actors on the two farthest apart uh, cities on two uh, different coasts of the of the country. Uh, for theater, it's New York. For film and television, it's Los Angeles. So. Uh, we have to maintain two homes, unfortunately. I have an apartment in New York, but our primary residence is here. I'm a native Angelino, born and raised in Los Angeles.
1: Well, I bet you're glad that uh, when this all happened that you were in Los Angeles as opposed to New York, because I bet you have a lot more space uh, at your house rather than, than the apartment in the city.
0: Oh, my, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brad's got his... Uh, uh, office uh, in the uh, far end of the house, and mine is on this end of, of the house. So uh, uh, sometimes he doesn't hear me when I call, <laughs> and so I have a bell that I <laughs> sound, and, and he responds.
1: <laughs> yeah, my, my boyfriend says my voice sounds like a bell, too, sometimes. So, you know, just... <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, one of the big projects you had in New York, Allegiance, it's now a DVD set. It's a huge, wonderful collector's edition box set, only about 2,000, 2,500 being made. Tell me about, first, let's talk about Allegiance. What prompted you, I know you were in internment camp, what prompted you to say, I'm going to tell this story on stage?
0: Well, it's been my life mission from the time, um, I guess I, when I was in my 20s, Uh, Actually, in my teens, uh, I I learned a great deal about my childhood imprisonment from my father. Mm -hmm. My father was a block man. We were in two camps. Um, We were rounded up here from Los Angeles, uh, and I remember that uh, morning when the soldiers came marching up our driveway and uh, stomped up the porch and with their fists began pounding on the front door. And my brother and I were told to wait in the living room while my parents were uh, packing back in the bedroom. And so, we, you know, we were just gazing out the window, and we suddenly saw these two soldiers carrying rifles with bayonets on them marching up our driveway. And uh, they banged on the door, and my father came out of the bedroom and, uh, and answered the door. And literally at gunpoint, they ordered us out of our home and we were taken from our home to the, uh, can you imagine the the horse stables of Santa Anita Racetrack? Horse stables from a two-bedroom house on Garnet Street in Los Angeles, front yard, backyard, to a smelly, I mean, it was still pungent with the the stink of uh, horse manure. And that's where we... uh, had to sleep for about uh, three, four months while the uh, camps were being built. We, we, our shower was where they washed down the horses. And you know it was outdoors. So the men and I uh, were, uh, uh, were allowed to shower first. And I, I went with my father, of course, and my baby sister went with my mother later on when it was a women's turn. But out there in the open air was where we had to uh, uh, bathe, where they washed the horses. And uh, then uh, we were put on a train and transported uh, uh, two thirds of the way across the country to, to the swamps of Arkansas. And here we were, you know, Americans, innocent of anything. There were no charges. No, therefore, no trial, because you have to have charges to to challenge in a court of law. In our case, there was no charges, so you know you could, we had no trial. The um, central pillar of our justice system, due process, completely disappeared. It was racism and hysteria of the times, and uh, so. Uh, but I was at that time five years old and uh, too young to really understand what was going on, we were all uh, categorized. Children and old people, everybody, 120,000 of us, were uh, categorized as enemy alien, which was the most irrational thing. I wasn't an enemy. I was a five-year-old kid, and I wasn't an alien. I was born here in Los Angeles, the son of... uh, my mother, born in Sacramento, California, my father was a San Franciscan, and yet they irrationally, without any logic, categorized us as enemy, alien, and they had no basis, uh, in fact, for that. It's horrible. That was just a made-up uh, category, and we were imprisoned in uh uh, barbed wire prison camps, barbed wire fences, sentry towers, machine guns pointed at us. Uh, uh, at night, searchlights followed us. When I had to make uh, the uh, uh, night runs to the latrine, I had searchlights following me. But you know, to a five-year-old kid, me, it wasn't intimidating. It wasn't uh, 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 something that uh, was humiliating. I thought it was nice that they lit the way for me to pee. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: oh my gosh!
0: Innocence of a child, and and my father, because he was a block manager, uh, he he gave me uh, uh, all the details of our uh, imprisonment, and of he shared with me his personal anguish and 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 outrage, uh, one outrage after another. And so uh, uh, I've been uh, on speaking engagements, as I said, from, from my 20s. Uh, uh, at that time, uh, it was uh, like the Chambers of Commerce, uh, uh, any uh, groups uh, that were uh, meeting. But uh, since then, I've uh, been on uh, speaking tours throughout uh, the United States, uh, speaking at universities and conferences and so forth, and They even invited me to Oxford and Cambridge in uh, Britain to talk about the uh, internment story. And so I, um, uh, uh, last year, last July, my uh, memoir, a childhood memoir,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: a graphic memoir, was published uh, with the title, They Called Us Enemy, and uh, Allegiance was part of that. We we founded a museum called the Japanese American National Museum. We're an affiliate of the Smithsonian here in Los Angeles. I was uh, a chairman of the board, and I'm still a trustee of that museum. And so what we did there was we institutionalized that story. You know, when I speak at universities, it's uh, uh, a temporal uh, thing. The uh, audience may remember it or or they may forget about it and I'm still surprised that there are so many people that I consider well read, well informed uh, when I tell them about my childhood imprisonment they're shocked and aghast that something like that actually happened. So we wanted to make sure that it wouldn't die off with the generation that experienced it. Most of them have died off. My parents are gone. Uh, uh, A lot of uh, the the majority of the people that were incarcerated are now go- gone. I'm one of the few survivors still alive to talk about it. And I consider it my responsibility. And so we founded this uh, museum to institutionalize that story. And, and we have uh, programs with uh, uh, school teachers where we uh, get them to incorporate the story of the internment in their curriculum and um, but that's still an academic study, and we did allegiance because we wanted to humanise that story, so that people uh, were able to experience the uh, emotions, the uh, sense of uh, of, of uh, uh, the roughness, of the anguish, uh, leaving your home, having everything taken from you. My my father said, you know, they took uh, his business, they Froze the bank account. We lost the house because the bank account uh, that you had no access to your money, and uh, you can't make the mortgage payment. So they they took everything, That's... everything that they worked for to the halfway point of their lives, to have it taken from them, and it was the most lawless thing, because we have a constitution, we have a bill of rights, we have due process, we have uh, just. Humanitarianism disappeared, and we were uh, uh, and without any kind of uh, of, uh, 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 evidence, they considered us spies, potential spies, or uh, saboteurs or fifth columnists. When you uh, uh, they were never able to get any evidence of any kind of activity like that. It was just sheer hysteria, and. And so uh, we wanted to record that history so that it won't be forgotten. But with Allegiance and with my books, I wanted to humanize that story for people to understand that these are human beings who feel the pain, who feel the anguish, who uh, uh, feel outrage. And, and many of them uh, that were incarcerated, young men, turned radical. And it wasn't they that turned radical, it was the government that forced them to become radicals. And uh, so we um, uh, developed allegiance to uh, tell that story as a musical on Broadway. When we were uh, developing it, uh, I'd tell some of my Japanese American friends that we were doing this and they would say, what? You're going to make a musical out of uh, our suffering, <laughs> and uh, because they, you know, uh, when you say musical, they think of high kicking, you know, song and dance. Right. But music has the power to really penetrate the heart, the emotion, and uh, so that's why we did it as a musical. And my book, uh, my graphic uh, memoir, essentially, it's a comic book. Um, <clears throat> with that I wanted to reach the young people to have them know that story because when I was in my preteens I loved comic books I I, I devoured them and at that age you're absorbing in information through your pores mm-hmm. and I wanted to reach that generation uh, today where they uh, get under, Uh, get exposed to the story, and they uh, grow up knowing that this is a chapter of American history, not Japanese-American history, but American history, as much American as a story of slavery or what happened to Native Americans uh, uh, in history. This is a part of American history that Americans need to know about as part of our American heritage. Which we must never repeat again. And uh, actually, in 1994, I wrote my uh, autobiography called To the Stars. Uh, It was a a Star Trek. uh, Of course. uh, uh, I was wearing my uh, Starfleet uniform looking up, you know, on the cover. Mm -hmm. Um, But with the uh, They Called Us Enemy, I wanted to reach a uh, youth generation because they're going to become the voters and the leaders of tomorrow. And uh, with Allegiance, I wanted to reach people emotionally to tell the story of the young men who went from behind those barbed wire fences. They were so desperate to prove their uh, loyalty that they took the outrage of being used like cannon fodders and so, you know, we, uh, we told that story. But we also told the story of those that took a principled position. They said, I, I'm an American, and I will fight for my country, but I will fight as an American. If I can report to my hometown draft board, not be t- taken from me uh, in, uh, in this Barbar prison camp, but if I can report to my hometown draft board with my family back home, I would be like any American. I would be an American. I will fight as an American, but I will not go as an internee, leaving my family in in imprisonment to put on the same uniform as that of, of the sentries up on the tower, guarding over my family. I will fight as an American. And for that, they would try for draft evasion and found guilty and transferred to uh, Leavenworth federal penitentiary. And there were other, uh, others that, that, uh, who refused to sign the loyalty questionnaire. And because of these irrational and cruel uh, activities of uh, the government, many of these young, young men turned radical. And so, you know, there, uh, we wanted to tell that story have you seen Allegiance?
1: I saw it on Broadway, sir. I saw it... Ah,
0: well, the Frankie character... Yes. ...is uh, one of those that... Uh, you know, the one that uh, Keiko uh, uh, falls in love with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, radicalized by the government, by the by the behavior of the uh, government. And uh, um, uh, 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 Sammy uh, goes to fight for the, uh, this country leaving his family in imprisonment and so that's another kind of heroism but the true heroes were the ones that uh, stood strong as americans uh behind those uh, penitentiary walls so uh the uh, speaking engagements and uh, the uh, uh, various uh, programs with educational institutions is to uh make sure that the story is known. And with the museum, we institutionalize it so that it remains a part of American history. But with uh, the books and with uh, the musical, it's to uh, humanize that story.
1: So I have to ask, and thank you for sharing all of that. That is just so gut-wrenching to hear. And I'm glad that you did Allegiance because I didn't know. It's, it's kind of swept under the rug a little bit. We don't talk about it a lot. But what do you think in this current moment, how does it make you feel when you hear people comparing these COVID lockdowns to what you experienced? How does that make you feel?
0: Well, <clears throat> not just uh, the uh, COVID uh, uh, pandemic that we're living through, but what's going on at the southern border. Mm-hmm. is outrageous. Again, the same sort of mindless, irrational cruelty that happened to us 17-plus uh, years ago. Um, people, I mean, uh, we, uh, we visited Guatemala. We wanted to see the Mayan ruins, but we also saw the seething poverty and the uh, 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 lawless, lawlessness of, of Guatemala. Some women have seen their husbands killed right in front of them. And you know, these are people literally fleeing for their lives because of the violence and chaos in their country. And they, uh, she grabbed her children and she uh, tried to flee. And you can't have you know poverty-stricken countries uh, right ne- uh, across the border from the wealthiest nation in the world. And they, these people come to seek uh, asylum. And instead, we detain them. Which, which is another form of uh, uh, putting us in—or uh, another form of, uh, of uh, imprisonment, uh, uh, sort of not unlike what the Japanese-Americans suffered uh, during the Second World War. So uh, the importance of the internment story is that it's still relevant today, and it's the same kind of mindless cruelty is going on right now. After uh, 9-11, Truman – I mean, not Truman um, – Trump said uh, we've got to have an absolute and total banning of Muslims coming into the country, and essentially inferring that all Muslims are potential terrorists, just like we were uh, – Japanese Americans were considered potential spies, terrorists – I mean spies, uh, saboteurs – or Fifth columnists. It's that same mentality. There's, there's no uh, proof. You know, yes, 9-11 happened because uh, the perpetrators were uh, Muslims and they were Saudi Arabians, although there are allies. You know, but, but he doesn't say Saudi Arabians, Muslims, saying all Muslims are potential terrorists and he's banned them from uh, uh, travel. But that also tarnished The uh, Arab-Americans in this country who have been here for generations. Right. And, uh, in fact, there was an Indian Sikh, you know, Mm -hmm. S-I-K, in uh, Arizona who had a gasoline station. And uh, this guy shot him. And when they tried to arrest him, he said, I'm an American. I'm an American. I just killed a Muslim. You know, that mentality.
1: What do we do? How can we get past it? How can we stop history from repeating itself in one form or another?
0: That's the thing. It's going to take a long time because we had uh, what's called the original sin, the uh, uh, issue of slavery. And African-Americans for four centuries have been struggling for uh, equality just because of the color of their skin. They were considered property, and they had to. We, we fought a civil war to mm-hmm. make them no longer property, that they were human beings, uh, but still they didn't have the right to vote, and they had to struggle for that. And even when they had the right to vote, there was uh, voter suppression. And so, you know, that struggle is going on still, despite the fact that we've had an African American as uh, president of the United States. American uh, African Americans have been uh, attorney generals of the uh, United States. Uh, uh, African Americans are now participating in every aspect of American society, and yet you can't be black and driving, or you can't even be black and running as we just discovered. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in Georgia, uh, this, this young man, uh, Aubrey, mm-hmm. was shot and killed by two uh, rednecks of uh, father and son and uh, it didn't go uh, they didn't go arrested for 10 weeks 10 weeks because the victim was a black man and the perpetrator were ignorant southern whites and it wasn't wasn't until finally the uh, the uh, tape was uh, exposed publicly. that uh, they were arrested. So that struggle is still going on with the Mm African-Americans. So the the Japanese-American story or the Asian-American story, because there's a long history (coughs) of uh, um, uh, uh, anti-Asian prejudice in this country. Um, The Chinese started coming in the uh, 1850s. In fact, the Chinese were involved in... uh, the building of the uh, uh, Transcontinental Railway, you know, building uh, the tracks. Uh, it was hard labor, cheap labor, uh, and uh, uh, Chi- the Chinese were willing to work on that. And they contributed to tying the uh, country uh, together, the uh, uh, East Coast with the West Coast. And yet they were seen as uh, filthy and the uh, dirty and carrier of diseases, and uh, there was the yellow plague uh, fear, which gave rise to the uh, uh, name uh, yellow journalism, because uh, William Randolph first picked that up and started uh, saying, we've got to get rid of the Chinese, and in uh, 1882, the Congress passed the uh, A Chinese Exclusion Act. I mean, the name of the act itself was racist. The Chinese Exclusion Act, and uh, and they stopped uh, uh, immigration from China. But then the Japanese weren't Chinese, so (laughs) the Japanese started coming to work in the sugar plantations of uh, of uh, Hawaii. And uh, my grandparents uh, were farmer. My maternal, my mother's uh, parents. Um, were farmers and they came to the sacramento Delta and farmed there uh, and uh, uh, uh the uh, again the uh, the uh, Japanese the Chinese it didn't make any difference they were asians uh, in um, 1881 in Lo- here in my hometown of Los Angeles, a white woman uh a, a, a claim that a Chinese man uh, harassed her and uh, a mob formed, and they went into Chinatown and just randomly uh, uh, captured 20 Chinese men, dragged them over to the Central Plaza, which still exists today in downtown, and they lynched them, 20 Chinese men, because of one white woman's claim. I mean, that was never... Uh, uh, examined so you know she, she could have been a hysteric who made it up mm-hmm. but because of that woman's claim 20 yeah. chinese men were lynched in the central plaza of uh of uh, uh los angeles
1: and, even- and so uh,
0: california was very much like the uh, the american south uh, in the 1800s
1: mm-hmm. and even with star trek with in the '60s, it was groundbreaking to have a cast that diverse. Nowadays, I don't think we blink twice about it. But I, if I recall anything about Trek history, that was that was a big step for Asian Americans, it was. for African Americans, for everybody.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, Gene Roddenberry was a visionary in mm-hmm. that uh, respect, and uh, his uh, philosophy was. uh, We're going to tell this story in terms of metaphors. And the Starship Enterprise was a metaphor for Starship Earth. And the strength of the Starship lay in its diversity, coming together and working in concert as a team. And that philosophy is still relevant today. The diversity of uh, this country, or the diversity of the, the a human animal is its strength. If you can work together, work in concert, be aligned to a, a common goal, you know, because uh, the human animal is intelligent. But be, but beyond that, we have our own distinct, a uh, personal, individual character. Uh, some are hunters; they go out, search out, and. See, uh, Seek information and they seek facts. Others are gatherers who gather that fact and uh, 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 put them together and share it. And then others are uh, are uh, uh, builders. They uh, uh, build structures, but they also gather the ideas that, that that have been gathered and and develop that into a venture they become entrepreneurs, and then they're uh, the the outliers, the uh, artists and the poets. And uh, that's another uh, group of uh, humanity. And it's all of this, that diversity, working together in concert, that's the strength of uh, humankind.
1: I love that. I want to close out with something you said, actually, in an in- it wasn't an interview. It was in your unboxing because it was very, very striking. It was in the what? In the unboxing video that you put on Facebook where you unboxed mm. the Allegiance box set. And I might be – forgive me if I'm taking this out of context, but it was just a phrase you said. It said um, – here I have it written down. It said, warm memories of an ugly time referring, of course, to the internment camp. And that's how you described the uh, allegiance in that box set. So what did you mean by that? Warm memories of an ugly time.
0: It was an ugly time. Mm-hmm. It was a shameful time for uh, the... You know, my I said um, I learned as a, a teenager from uh, the uh, after-dinner conversations that I had with my father.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well... Um, my father shared with me a lot of the details of that, and it was an ugly time. And yet, as a five-year-old at that time, have you read uh, uh, "They Called Us Enemies"?
1: Actually, I didn't even know you wrote it. I knew I thought there was—I knew there was a graphic novel, but this is actually the first time hearing about it. And you can bet I'm going to go pick it up because oh, dude, it sounds fantastic.
0: Because I tell that from the uh, eyes of five-year-old me. Yeah, and. Uh, I have fond memories of that, um, because my father was a block manager and he worked with the camp command. Uh, I guess, you know, he was able to get some privileges and one afternoon, uh, at, uh, uh, at lunch in the uh, mess hall, my father told us that, uh, uh, tomorrow he's going to be able to, uh, uh, borrow a Jeep and take us out of the barbed bar. wire. This is in Arkansas, uh. And that was, you know, so such an exciting thing to go outside the uh, barbed wire fence, but not only that, to be uh, taking that ride in a jeep. <laughs> and uh, so I told all my friends, you know, about it, that we're going in a jeep and we're going outside the camp. And uh, and so they were all eager to see if, uh, this was really true. And sure enough, you know, they were all gathered, uh, by near our barrack and, and we were on the porch waiting for my father to appear. And sure enough, he came, to, uh, driving that Jeep and beep, beep us, us. And so my brother and I clambered in and my father, uh, went in to get my mother and my sister and, uh, the boys were so envious and then uh, my mother and my sister came out and we uh, went outside the uh, the uh, gate and took us for an incredible experience. I mean, that's the way it remains in my memory. Uh, we went uh, through the swamps and over the bridge and, and then we visited a, a hog farm and I was into dinosaurs at that time and I thought, surely these big, enormous, smelly, ugly, grunting creatures wallowing in that muck, smelly muck, you know, must be a descendant of the dinosaurs. <laughs> and uh, then we drove back back to uh, the camp. But uh, uh, I remember that so fondly. And now it's going to be coming out uh, uh, in July uh in hardback with a, a brand new cover and i said we've got to capture that i, re- I it's, it's still uh, vivid in my uh memory as my father was, was driving the jeep back to the camp there was a blazing radiant uh sunset and uh, the barbed wire fence and the sentry tower uh towers were uh, silhouetted and my brother had gone to sleep Right beside me in the, the back seat of the jeep, and uh, my baby sister uh, was in my mother's arm, and she had dropped off. And I was getting pretty sleepy too, but that was—I rem- I was still awake as he uh, uh, drove back toward the uh, camp. And so I, we uh, recreated that for the uh, the hardcover uh, 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 book uh, of uh, They Called Us Enemy. So do uh, pick up the uh, – it's going to be coming out uh, in June or July. Yeah. I think he said July. Um, the uh, What's out right now is in soft cover. But I have these warm, fond memories of my childhood, uh, an innocent childhood. Uh, but there were other uh, events that were terrifying. There were riots in camp and uh, – the, uh, the uh, soldiers came roaring in, uh, standing. Uh, 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 one soldier would be driving, and two soldiers would be standing in the jeep, uh, aiming their rifles at us. And everybody, you know, ran. And my father grabbed my hand, and we ran like bats out of bats out of hell. Uh, so I have terrifying memories too, but there are fond memories of uh, my. Childhood Behind Bar bars.
1: Well, I want to say thank you for writing that book and thank you for writing Allegiance. I'll leave you with my thought here. I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I think of all the issues we talked about and I asked you, how do we heal? Uh, how do we heal? How do we move past? And I think, and change our society for good so we don't repeat history. I think the answer is art because art reaches across and gets people to understand Uh these complex issues so thank you for devoting yourself artistically to changing the world and making it a better place thank you very very much
0: well i thank you for your sensitivity and also the support uh you're giving us you saw allegiance on broadway and you have the uh, treasure box of allegiance thank you very much and do do. uh I'll pick up a copy of the uh, hardcover uh, version of uh, They Called Us Enemy coming out.
1: Absolutely. I will. Mr. Takei, thank you very much. This was an honor.
0: Well, thank you for this opportunity.
1: I got to tell you guys, I was sitting on the edge of my seat, enthralled the whole time, staring at my soundboard as if George Takei were really in the room. It was totally mesmerizing. Mr. Takei, if you are listening to this, thank you so very much for your time. Thank you, thank you. Well, that's, well, I have a story for a, in a minute here, and uh, before I get to that, you'll understand why I'm doing this now. Before I get to the story I want to tell you, I just want to remind you all to visit talkfortwo.com, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and to email me at talkfortwocast at gmail.com, T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O dot com, and T-A-L-K-F-O-R-T-W-O-C-A-S-T at gmail.com com and thanks again for listening. Now my little story to end this. A little behind the scenes information about how this show is produced. When you when you hear me say goodbye on air, it is not goodbye to the guest, it is goodbye to the broadcast. They don't hang up right away typically and we spend just a minute, you know, I give them the details of when it'll air and you know, a time frame, and I thank them personally, off air, off mic, and you know, we hang out from there. We don't spend too much longer typically, but you know, another minute or two just to thank them. And t- he knew we were clear, cause I say, and we're clear, and I like to be a man of my word, a-, a man of integrity, where when I say we're clear, we're not recording that way in case they ask some questions or whatever, and they know something's not gonna end up in the edit, just to respect their, not that they're gonna say anything untoward, but just to respect their privacy. And what happened with George was that we ended and we were about to end the phone call. And instead of saying goodbye, now he did this. This was the coolest thing. You can think I'm lying, but I'll have this story for the rest of my life. And people can believe me or not. He goes, live long and prosper. Click. It was the greatest thing ever. I, it was my should have had a V8 moment because I should have kept rolling. But like I said, I don't do that once I tell them we're clear. But he goes, he goes, live long and prosper. Yes, that's Spock's line, but my god, sent chills up my spine to hear cuz he did it in the Sulu voice. It was it was great. And you heard he got an oh my in the in the interview and and I have a friend who worked with him said, "Yeah, that's just how he talks." So I will have that story for the rest of my life that he graciously hung up the phone by going by going live long and prosper. And I before I could say the response to that, He was already off the line because I was like, wait, 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 wait. I got to I got to get you. I got to record you saying that. And uh, but uh, he was gone. It was it was great. So since he was gone, I will not end this in my typical way. I will end this by saying I'm Matt Bailey. Peace and long life and long memory so that the ugly things that we talked about here today may never repeat themselves.
0: You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at TalkForTwo.com.